Hey, thanks for listening to the Grace Auburn Church Podcast. This week, Lead Pastor Matt Dean concludes our series through the Gospel of Luke, so that you may know. You can be seated. We are at the tail end of a journey through Luke's gospel, and he's written this gospel so that we could know with certainty about the things that we have been taught. And yesterday afternoon, I had a stack of books that I was reading the last chapters of, and I've been reading these books for the last several months, and, and there was a moment where I, the sun was crossing over our back porch, and I was, I was a little saddened, not at the outcome of Easter, but I was a little saddened at the thought that our journey through Luke is coming to a close, but what a powerful incredible conclusion that it draws for us as it lays the foundation for our very faith, and that is in the resurrected King Jesus. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to finish our time in Luke today in Luke chapter 24. If you are new to church, if you're new to Christianity, if this is your first time in the place today, then I want you to know what happens before Luke chapter 24 is that the King of glory, God himself, was crucified on a cross and was buried. And he who knew no sin became sin so that people like you and me could be right with God by grace through faith in the work that he has done. And if you've never read the gospel, then I encourage you to read these gospels because it is true. And as we look at Luke's gospel, as he tells the story of Jesus's life and ministry, we conclude our time today in Luke chapter 24. So would you look at me together? It says, but on the first day of the week, early at dawn, they went to the tomb. Now the they is a group of women that have been following Jesus since Galilee. And this group of women, goes, they go to the tomb and they're taking the spices that they had prepared. Now you should know that these women in advance have a problem. And the problem is that the spices that they have prepared for Jesus' body and ongoing burial, there is a stone blocking the entryway to that. Now other gospel accounts talk about that this stone was put in place to guard the body of Jesus because it was that controversial. And so the Roman army had placed a garrison of guards around this uh, tomb so that no one could get in and no one could get out. And as we know in the story, verse two tells a different reality. And as this group of women found the stone, it was rolled away from the tomb. But when they went into the tomb, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men, two angels, stood by them in dazzling apparel. Dazzling apparel is the ESV version of brilliant white, and brilliant white equates these are angelic beings. Now, if you're new to the Bible, often when uh, angels and humans interact, there is a profound sense of, oh no, and there's almost always the immediate response, fear not. And in this moment, we see just how Luke begins the gospel. He's ending the gospel. In the first chapter of Luke, we see these angels appear and promise and announce the coming and birth of Jesus. And now we see these same angels appear saying, he's not here. He was. He's not anymore. Now, these same angels, their full-time job is before the throne of this same resurrected king. And day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. We know at the end of the Bible that there's about 100 million angels whose delight and full-time occupation is with one loud voice to declare, holy, is the Lord God Almighty. But they had a temporary assignment to let these ladies know that Jesus 
was not there. And as they were frightened, these women bowed their faces to the ground, and the men said to them, Why do you seek the living from among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. That is the miracle of the resurrection. That crucified Jesus that was buried three days before is gone. Remember, these angels are telling the ladies, remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And then it says, and these women, then they remembered his words. They remembered the words of Jesus. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. So these 11 disciples, these 11 apostles, they, they, these ladies come back and they let them know. Now, Luke gives us some, some details here. These ladies include Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But look at this, verse 11. These words to the apostles seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. So pause for a moment. The very apostles, the very, the very ones that had walked closely with Jesus, seen the miracles, heard the sermons, seen the crucifixion, upon the announcement that he was not there from these trusted women that they loved, they were a community of faith together, a community of followers of Jesus, it says they did not believe them. Can you imagine? Put yourself in the scene for a moment. This really is difficult to go, we, we saw him on the cross. We saw him bleed his last. We saw him say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. We heard him say, it is finished. We watched them put a spear in his side where blood and water flows out. We watched them bring him down off the cross. We saw where Joseph of Arimathea brought him into this unused tomb. We saw all that, and you're saying he's not there? That's what we're saying. How, how can that be? We don't believe you. But Peter rose. The same Peter that a few nights before had said, Jesus, I don't know him. Jesus, not me. Jesus, no, I'm not connected to him. I don't know. The same Peter that denied, denied, denied Jesus. Of all the ones that did not believe, something in his heart said, I want to believe. I'm going to run and go see. And stooping and looking in, Peter saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. The greatest denier of Jesus is now marveling at the missing body. A powerful reminder of what returning in faith to God can do. It can result in marvelous things. Then Luke turns the camera angle, if you will, and begins to tell another story in light of this. It says that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. So think, this is a two to three hour walk, right? And, and one Bible scholar has, has contended that this too could have been a married couple. And we'll see in a few minutes that one of their names is Cleopas. And in, this, in the Gospel of John, Cleopas or Clopas has a wife named Mary. And it's possible that Cleopas and Clopas are the same guy. And if this is the case, it's a husband and wife walking down the road. If it's not the case, it's two men walking down the road. Either way, two people are walking down the road in light of what happened over the weekend but I'm gonna enter into this story with my imagination and go, if it was a husband and wife, if it was a husband and wife, and if it was that they had seen these events unfold, you can imagine there was a special sense of intimacy and trust that they were honest with one another walking down this dusty road away from Jerusalem. That there was sorrow and grief and, and disappointment and, and I just, what, what happened? I mean, I, I don't, 
We saw him do the amazing things, and now he's gone. Luke says, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. One of the things that shows up in Luke's gospel specifically is he is building a case so that we would know with certainty that the resurrected Jesus was not a ghost, it's not a myth, it's not a spirit, it's a real body in resurrected form. It's a new body, same Jesus, new body, and this new body of Jesus can just appear. It just shows up. And we know in other stories that Jesus walks through walls, he walks through doors that are locked, and in this case, he shows up on a dusty road to Emmaus, and he draws near to these people that were walking. And look at the detail that Luke provides. While Jesus himself drew near and went with them, verse 16, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. This is a theological statement, and one that is true for us to consider. Who opens the eyes of our hearts? God. Who knows things before we do? He does. Who always goes before us? God does. Who can take a dead heart and make it alive? God can. And at this moment, their eyes were still kept from recognizing him. Jesus said to them, what is this conversation that you were holding with each other as you walk? Now, that's the ESV translation. That's a little clunky. I doubt it was that formal of a statement, but Jesus is saying to these people, what's happening? That, that's, what are you talking about? And in Aramaic, I'm sure it would have been way, way better, but in English, it, it just kind of, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? That's the best English can do. It doesn't feel quite the same, but what's happening? What, what is it that you were talking about? And as they stood still, looking sad, then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days, and Jesus says, what things? That might be the understatement of all of Scripture. What things? Things like that the king of glory hung on a cross and though innocent, became guilty. What things are you talking about? And they said to Jesus, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people. Listen, pay very close attention to this detail Luke provides. These people, if it was a husband and wife or brothers walking down the road or friends walking down the road, either way, they loved Jesus and respected Jesus and trusted Jesus and were grieved over the death of Jesus. They respected him and acknowledged him as mighty indeed and word before God and all the people. And then they tell the story back to Jesus that their chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But look at this next line. But we, Cleopas and his companion, says, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Now, the prevailing Jewish thought, and this was a Jewish uh, duo here, the prevailing thought was that the Messiah would rescue them from suffering. And if you go back and look at Luke, Jesus is announcing the kingdom. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. He's pronouncing judgment. Just a couple chapters before, he was talking about the destruction that was gonna come upon Jerusalem. And this couple or these two people, they were saying, we had hoped. We had hoped. It was our sincere hope that he would be the one to redeem Israel from suffering. 
but he was the one that would redeem Israel through suffering. And there's a huge difference. They go on to say, yes, then besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Jesus is listening. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Don't you know that Jesus in this moment was patiently listening? Eye contact, I'm sure, was perfect. The compassion he had for these people, godly with all capital letters. He was intent on letting them tell the story that he knew more than anyone. Some of those that were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then Jesus, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, this is what that means. That the hero of scripture gave a one-on-two in-depth Bible study an explanation of all that was promised and all that was necessary and all that was true for them. And they still were having trouble. And he began with Moses. And so you know that he would have told the story of Abraham and Isaac, of Joseph and Jacob. He would have talked about the prophecies in Daniel and Malachi. He would have talked about all these things. He would have gone through the heroes of faith that trusted and were believing and announcing and proclaiming that there is a Messiah coming. And here is Jesus, the focus of all eternity, explaining the Bible of which he is the hero of to these dear people that were grieved over his death. Wouldn't you want to be there? I mean, it's great to study the Bible, but would it not be awesome if Jesus himself was with you explaining the whole thing? So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So Jesus went in to stay with them. Again, this is God the king of the universe, and he's acting like, I'm, I'm gonna go on, have a great evening. They're like, please, please, it's, please, come in. And when Jesus was at the table with them, he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. It says, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Who can open their eyes? Jesus. Who can open your eyes? Jesus. Who must open our eyes? Jesus. And in that moment, after having heard everything, the Bible explained in great detail the story of the crucifixion recounted to him. He took the bread, he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And chances are that these two would have known or been in the room just a few nights before when he said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you eat of this bread, do so and remember me. Their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And look at Luke's next line, and he vanished from their sight. They caught a glimpse and he was gone. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Of course their hearts burned. He wrote the story. 
He's the hero of the story. He knows the story, and their hearts were burning. And it says they rose that same hour after just having walked from Jerusalem. They walk right back to Jerusalem. Listen to how the story unfolds. They found the 11 that did not believe, and those that were with them gathered together. And they said, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. Here he is. He shows back up in the room. They're like, he's risen. He's risen. He's risen. I I mean, we were there and he was telling us about all the things that were happening in scripture and how it was necessary. And then he broke bread and he broke it. And then our eyes were opened. Can you believe it? The Lord actually is back. I mean, we knew he was dead. Now he's alive. He is alive And Jesus suddenly appears, peace, be with you. They were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Why is Luke including this? So that we may know with certainty this was a bodily resurrected king, that it wasn't uh, an image, it wasn't a hologram, it wasn't a myth, it was flesh and bones resurrected with wounded hands and scars. Luke includes that detail so that we would know with certainty that the resurrected Jesus is really in human form. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? Why does Luke include that? So that we would know with certainty that in this new resurrected body, he really could eat food and not just disappear. Because there was a real detail included in here. They gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and ate it before him. And then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. But look at this next line. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Please underline that. And please say in your Bible right beside it, would you do the same in me? Would you ask God to open your mind to understand his perfect and holy word, to put a greater love and desire and appetite for his word in your heart and ask him to open your mind that you could understand the scripture in greater increasing measure? It says he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to him, said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. As he begins to launch this church, he says two things, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed and that it should be proclaimed to all nations that the gospel of forgiveness and grace should correspond with repentance in Jesus' name and that that message and model of trusting in God for forgiveness and repentance as a human response to sin, that that message should be proclaimed to all nations beginning right here where it's starting in Jerusalem and to the ends of the earth. That's the foundation of the church that God is building. Confession, repentance, forgiveness in the name of Jesus and proclaiming that to the ends of the earth, which should help reframe for us 
why it is that we pray to that end every single day, why it is that we pray, God, would you bring the nations into this place and would you send us out to the nations from this place? It is our greatest joy and delight to obey this verse by proclaiming forgiveness in the name of Jesus and proclaiming his kingdom to the ends of the earth. Jesus says, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. If you want to know what happens next, go read the early chapters of Acts, which Luke also wrote. And you can see what happens in the days ahead. Luke concludes his gospel with these few verses. Then he led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, Jesus blessed them. And while Jesus blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. What does a saved heart do? Blesses God. There's joy in the heart of those who are redeemed. Remember what Peter did upon hearing of the news of the empty tomb, that he ran back and in faith began to marvel at what God had done. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter as we conclude our time today. Peter was the guy. He was the guy that denied Jesus three times. He was the disciple of Jesus that really had some significant struggles, and he would often act before thinking, speak before thinking it through, and all of that, I believe, God used in Peter's life to make him a specific, authoritative mouthpiece on the mercy and grace of God for him to articulate what forgiveness actually means. It was the same thing with Paul. Paul was a hater of Christians, a persecutor of the church, and God used the guy that hated Jesus the most to proclaim the gospel the loudest. Peter is another candidate for this. Peter was a terrible disciple in many ways. He made a lot of mistakes in many ways, and all of that God used to shape his life to be able to say, our God, the God, Jesus, who is God, is gracious and merciful. That's what God has done in Peter's life. And so when Peter writes to the early church that he is beginning to shepherd, this is what he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, if Peter had a highlighter or a pen, I'm sure he would circle his great mercy in his own letter to the church. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead that Peter saw. He saw that. He saw the empty tomb. He marveled at that. And he's speaking that this rebirth, this new birth, is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Verse 5. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while... Uh, you, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, that your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I want you to make the connection in your own life that your faith should result in praise. You have an opportunity every day, all day, especially today, to respond to God in faith, in worship, saying there is no one like you. Simply acknowledging his power and his presence is a faith response of praise to God. And that this faith would result in praise and glory and honor 
at the revelation of Jesus. And then Peter puts a pastor's heart around these people that will read it, and he says, though you haven't seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith. It is the salvation of your souls. Peter goes on in verse 13. He says, so therefore, prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. How could Peter know this little, this little insight? There was only grace for him that would make him right. He denied him, denied him, denied him. And Jesus reinstates him. And he reinstates him in such a profound way. So Peter can say, I've put my hope in other things, including not wanting to suffer. But Peter would be crucified upside down, ultimately. And he would be crucified upside down because he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same way that Jesus was. And Peter said, put your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. And Peter goes on to remind them in verses 20 and 21, Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world, that it was made known to you in the last times for your sake, who through him are believers of God. Because of Jesus, you are now believers who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Why can Peter say, put your faith and hope in God? Because he had put his faith and hope in other things until he came face to face with his resurrected king. Peter goes on in chapter two and he says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you, he's speaking to the church, you yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. All of you to be a holy priesthood. Every one of you to be a holy priesthood and to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You, holy priesthood, are to offer sacrifices of praise to a holy God through faith in Jesus. Peter goes on to speak to their identity in verse nine and he says, you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. But please underline the next part. All those things are true of you so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You are to proclaim, not just demonstrate with your life. You're to say it with your mouth out loud to people. You are to speak it, proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. Peter, it wasn't just, hey, go demonstrate what God has done for you, Peter. No, it was do it and say it. Do it and say it. Proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received God's mercy. You, by grace through faith, have received God's mercy. Peter concludes this chapter and he says, he himself, verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed for you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. 
Why could he say that with confidence? Because he had wandered far away. And it was his great shepherd and overseer that not only brought him back, but reinstated him. The gospel means that you, Christ's follower, have been reinstated based on Christ's work and his accomplishments. And so royal priesthood and fellow saints, the offering and the response to the resurrection of Jesus is that you, with your lips and with your lives, would proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. What a privilege. Just think that through. Think about what you deserve. I know what I deserve. It's not this, and it's not that for you. Think about what you deserve and what you have been given. Someone can speak a better word, right? Think about what you have done before God in disobedience and sin and rebellion and what he has done for you long before you could ever do a thing for him. Would you rest in the fact this morning, no one is better for you than Jesus. And no one is more committed to you than Jesus. And no one is more committed to your well-being and joy than Jesus. And he has truly paid it all. At a bare minimum, proclaim his excellencies. Speak it, say it, give it, demonstrate it, live it out, and go to the ends of the earth proclaiming that repentance and forgiveness is possible in his name and take that message to the end of the world. Would you pray with me? Thanks again for listening this week. You can find out more about Grace Auburn Church online at graceauburn.church.